Um, I'm going to open up with Psalm 115, because today we are talking about worship. Um, we're talking about worship in our um, how to grow or, you know, spiritual disciplines track. So here's Psalm 115. Listen very closely. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord both small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who have made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we just, we ask you now to be more evident in your word as we explore it for all that it's worth and just this minimal time that we have. Lord, direct our eyes to the object of the true object of faith, you and your son. And by your spirit, give us just the, the grace and the power and the mercy to be able to shed whatever is around us, whatever is holding us back, whatever sin that clings so closely so that we might worship your name in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we talked about biblical spirituality and very few of you were here because you were all in a meeting next door. Um, so I'm going to do a small, 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 um, overview um, about what we talked about. We talked about biblical spirituality and sanctification. So somebody give me a, a, a summary of biblical spirituality. Anybody? Anybody? What is biblical spirituality? And there's only like three people in here that we're here for. <laughs> For them. Driven by the scriptures, driven by biblical content. Thank you. So biblical spirituality is spirituality that is rooted in God, right? It's God-centered, Christ-centered, and word-centered. Alright? And it, so it is God-breathed and it is God-driven. The content of which is found in the Bible. The question that we kind of asked was: um, what can you truly be spiritual without Christ? And the answer is no, because you do not have the spirit within you. And this idea of biblical spirituality comes out of Christianity, which talks about the inhabitation, the 
the, the spirit within us, right? And that spirit, the Holy Spirit, that directs our eyes and our hearts through the word to God and God alone, right? So if, if you're spiritual but not religious, you have nothing, okay? If you are spiritual but you, and you go to church to check the box, you have nothing. Your spirituality depends on your relationship to God in Christ Jesus through his word, period. So that's biblical spirituality. Uh, point number two was what, sanctification. How does biblical spirituality or the spiritual disciplines relate to sanctification? We first talked about uh, pro, uh, positional sanctification, which means that, hey, you have been made righteous in Christ Jesus upon faith in his name. All right, so you positionally have been made holy. And if you guys know my cross chart, I didn't bring this up last week. If you know the cross chart, uh, this, this, we do this with our lives and all of a sudden we encounter the cross. Like Jesus saves us and then we have two directions that our lives grow in. We grow in the knowledge of God's holiness and we grow in the knowledge of our sin. And then what is the best, the, the, best, the only the good thing about this is that the cross, as we go, as we grow in spirituality, should also grow in our lives. It should grow us in gratefulness and thankfulness for what Christ has done. Also, our knowledge for Christ, of Christ and in God should increase. Because if it is not increasing, um, if it is not uh, the focus of our hearts, then we will inevitably focus somewhere else. And so our spirituality will take a dive um, at, at best and uh, may prove us to... Consequently, be very difficult. Our, our lives will not, not reflect Christ in any way. And our job, and that's what we're going to talk about today, is to worship Christ with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. Okay? So that was positional sanctification. We are made righteous in Christ Jesus. But there's also progressive sanctification. And that's that growing in the knowledge of the cross, right? The gratefulness part. Um, progressive sanctification. And that's where our spiritual disciplines help us. They help us grow in gratefulness. They help us grow in thankfulness. They help us grow in grace, in the means of grace. And we talked about some of those things being Bible reading or Bible intake. We talked about prayer. We talked about fasting. We, we didn't like, just name them, really. And um, we're going to go through the rest of those, at least for these next 12 weeks. Um, it might be longer than that. I guess I get to set the schedule, and so we'll see how long it goes. Be free. Be free. Rex is, Rex is pleading with me. Be free! Um, but, so we have progressive sanctification, which spiritual disciplines help us with. And then, finally, we have final sanctification. This is not something I talked about particularly, but when we, are, when we see Jesus, when either he returns or we get taken home, he... When we see him, we will be made like him and fully glorified. So that's where the whole point, right? That's where we're going. Um, so that final justification, that final sanctification looks like glorification. So we have justification, positional sanctification is the, is the consequence. And then we have progressive sanctification. And then we have glorification or final, final um, sanctification. Are there any questions? That was a very short summary. I'm proud of myself for doing it. Okay. Uh, I wanted to add one thing. Yeah. Because I know, like, when you brought the thing about, I'm spiritual but not religious, I feel like even the culture has, that says that has a grasp of, like, 
they want to take part in things that are different than what like the physical world has. Oh yeah. So that's why they want to like meditate and like let go instead of like taking in the word of God. Yeah. And I don't know. They know that <clears throat> this world is not all that there is, so they try to like tap yeah. into that or they try to make their own way. Yeah. And they, they try to make their own way in so many ways. We talked about crystals last week just briefly. <clears throat> And I think it's we talked even, about it's not even for like a salvific purpose. It's no. just to experience something, something less mundane. Yeah. Right. They're looking for something beyond what this world has, and and that's that God-shaped hole in their hearts. You know, Ecclesiastes three eleven kind of idea. God has put it in man's heart to seek after Him, um, yet we seek everything else. Um, that's the the vanity part of it. But on the other hand, what people think they're Religious, religious, but not spiritual, and, and we're going to talk about that part today. Um, that religious part, uh, where I go to church, I do all the things, I serve my, I serve my, my congregation, I serve God, I do all these things. I must be good with Jesus. And that idea, and that's that's vain religiosity. That's Pharisaicalism. That's a whole bunch of other things that are not good and not salvific. So let's talk about today. That's, that's where we're going today. We're going to talk about this. You see the title in your, your notes? It's called All of Life Worship. All of Life Worship. That's the point of your... That's why you've been saved. You've been saved to worship the great God in heaven. Um, just number, number one. So I have a question for you to ponder. How often do you worship God every week? How often do you worship God every week, during your week? Hopefully. Once, but nonstop. Once, but nonstop. Oh, well, that's an interesting way of thinking. <laughs> Never-ending phrase, right? Yes. Get it. Um, another way of asking this question is worshiping something, worshiping o- is worshiping only something that we do when we come to church? Or is it more than that? Tell me, tell me what you think about that. It needs to be more than that. Needs to be more than that. I, I appreciate your... And, and even added to that coming here, so right. to speak. So often Christians think of worship, the worship portion of the service. We're going to get there. Yeah. So don't leave that. Oh, I'm not. I'm not going to leave it there. Because like even in Sundays, we can, mess, we can mess, get ourselves messed up by thinking, oh, the singing is worship. The preaching is listening. No, it's all worship. Um, this is worshipful. Okay, we're going to talk about why. It should but be. This should be. Yes, if we're doing it correctly. But anybody else have any idea uh, that they want to put out there? Prayer is worship. Everything is worship, right? The question is, what are you worshiping? Um, Go ahead. Go Rex. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to build this habit in the tough moments mm-hmm. when, when things are stacking up. And, and the instinct is to pray, God, get me out of this. Yeah. To stop and say, and before I make a request like that, acknowledge to God, if this is what your providence has for me, 
I acknowledge it is good. Yeah, so show me your glory. Let <laughs> right? me pour it out my heart for a minute. Yes. <laughs> I mean, even, even David prays songs of lament, right? He, he prays really hard, imprecatory psalms. Like, he has a lot of different types of praise, a lot of different types of worship that come out of his mouth. But if you notice, it's all for the glory of God. It's not for the glory of David or Asaph or whoever wrote the psalm. So let me just up front say, if you, if you have a hard time understanding what is worship and the full reality of what worship can be and what worship is, go read the Psalms cover to cover. Just go read them. And here's what you're going to find. David's life is not easy. You could read about it in First Samuel and Second Samuel, but David's life is anything but easy. In fact, it's probably harder and worse than what you've experienced. And so he, through the Spirit, through him, has given you words to learn how to worship, learn how to pray, learn how to sing his praises, even in the midst of those hard things. And so if you, if you have no time at all, except for the five seconds it takes to read Psalms, a, a Psalm a day, then read it. To read five Psalms a day uh, for a month, you'll get through all 150. I mean, that's been my habit for a long time, but you, you have to sit there and read it. Just, just sit and read, and your life will revolve. You start thinking these things, uh, and you'll, you will be like, oh, Lord, thank you for giving me these, these words right now, even in the midst of being car wrecked by, an, it, by somebody on... No, uh, no, you can say it. <laughs> by somebody on, uh, on the expressway. You can still praise God, even in the midst of losing your vehicle and your ride to work. Uh, you can still praise God um, in the midst of even harder things. Even harder things. So let me, have, let me say this. Today's class has two goals. We're going to get to one of them. Okay? To hear what the Bible says about worship. And then, number two, we'll probably get to it next week, to understand the relationship between worship and the spiritual disciplines. Okay? Everything that we go through in this track on how to grow will be related back to, uh, to the spiritual disciplines and how these things interact with one another. Okay? Any questions about where we're going? Cool. So I think it goes without saying, but as the guy standing in front of you, I'm going to say it. Worship is the central purpose of our lives. And the Westminster Catechism, the Shorter Catechism, and you probably heard of it uh, at some level, but the question goes like this. What is the chief end of man? Does somebody have that? Chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, right? And that, that, that summarizes what is the whole point of our lives, right? Of everybody's life. It's not just Christians' lives. It's for even the unsaved. It's for the pagan. It's for the lost. Their purpose of their life is to glorify God. And so let's Keep that in mind. It's not to glorify them. They are glorifying themselves. They're trying to, right? They're trying to glorify something. But their purpose, why they were created, was to glorify their creator. It's breath. Praise the Lord. Thank you. So this duty, when we think about worship, we must first determine our basic, it's our first, it's first our basic duty. Then this duty is defined by the God who created us in his image and redeemed us by the blood of his son, Jesus. 
So I'm going to take an aside for a second. Um, last week we talked about the word concept fallacy. Um, and so the word concept fallacy says this, for those of you who aren't here, says that basically um, it is false to say that if the word isn't present, then you can't use it to explain something. Let me give you an easy one. We have the Trinity, right? Trinity, Trinitas, was actually invented to explain this. That word was in, it invented to explain the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The, Father, the Son is not the Spirit. But the, and the Spirit is not the Son. But they all are one God. Tri-unity, the Trinity, is what we use to explain the larger concept of who God is. Okay? But it is a fallacy to say that we're not allowed to use the word Trinity or it's not valid because it's not Father, Son, and Spirit, like the whole, the whole definition. Does that make sense? We do this all the time. Like think about, you know, uh, just think about anything, another word that you use to explain something else. Like we, we, in the military, we use acronyms all the time. And sometimes it doesn't even make sense. But if I say the word halo, like he can tell me exactly what I mean. He can tell me the acronym. He can tell me where, 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 uh, where they take place. All of those things. But uh, everybody else might be left in the dust because we didn't explain ourselves, right? But it's not, it's not wrong to have a, an acronym or have a, another word that explains that concept. Does that make sense? Another aspect of that, though, is it's also wrong to say that the concept does not exist. Right, because, because the, the word, word yeah, it works both ways. It works both ways. So um, word concept fallacy. So that we talked about that last week. Uh, in uh, particularly, uh, uh, what did we do? We, uh, yeah, it was particularly with just like talking about the word and how we use words to, theological words to explain things. Number two, this week, we were, I want to make sure that we understand. Catechisms aren't bad. They are not the Bible, right? But they are a good summary summary statements of what God has said in his word. That's the only thing that makes a good catechism good, right? Is if it is accordance to the word. Um, and so our lives uh, are revolve around the word of God. They're supposed to revolve around the word of God. And we use a bunch of words and a bunch of ways to memorize those things. Catechism, question and answer, is one of those ways. Right? What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Is there anything in that sentence that is not biblical? No. No. Uh, so let's, let's be careful about how we think about these things. We do not subordinate anything to Scripture, but everything to Scripture. Does that make sense? I think you need to say that. We don't support any, subordinate Scripture to anything. There you go. But you didn't say that. Okay. That's what I was trying to say. We don't support, subordinate anything to Scripture, or anything, Scripture to anything. But we do subordinate everything to Scripture. Thank you. Thank you for catching me on that. Words. 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 Yeah. They're, they're a thing. Magisterial and ministerial. Oh, joy. Oh, joy. <laughs> so let's unpack that catechism statement really quickly, just to kind of get our minds wrapped around what does it mean to glorify God. Uh, Puritan Thomas Watson says it this way, and you have it in your notes. Appreciation, adoration, affection, and subjection. Let me explain just succinctly what those mean and 
these are all word, all sentences out of Thomas Watson's book, um, A Body of Divinity. So if you want to read a good, good work on like worship and uh, just mini systematic basically, uh, but A Body of Divinity by Thomas Watson is a good one. Um, appreciation, to glorify God is to set God highest in our thoughts. It means to abound in thanksgiving toward him for what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. To glorify God is to set God at highest in our thoughts. It means to abound in thanksgiving, the appreciation aspect, toward him for what he has done through, for us through Christ Jesus. Number two, adoration. To adore God is to ascribe to him all honor and praise. It is to acknowledge that he alone is worthy of our reverence and our worship. All right? Adoration is that part of glorifying God. Affection. To glorify God. What does it mean to glorify God in our affections? It means to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Our entire person is given to the one, to the love, to love the one who is altogether lovely. Think about this. All of creation proclaims his glory, but is any of creation truly lovely? I'm going to answer it for you. No. It's all corrupted by sin. And it must be rescued. And it will be rescued by the one who is altogether lovely, God himself. So let's be careful in our affections to love God, not the creation over God. To subjection, number four, the fourth aspect. Subjection, to dedicate ourselves completely to, in obedience to God. We submit to his will and we are ready to serve him. Subjection or submission, if you prefer, is how a believer enters into a kingdom. And subjection is how we live in that kingdom. So we have been subjects, we are subjects of Christ the King. And so not only has he made us a part of his kingdom, but we live in accordance to how his kingdom is set up. We live in that kingdom that he's made, under his rules and under his righteousness. Philippians 2, 5 to 7 says it this way, Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, emptied himself. Right? He, he humbled himself. He subjected himself to the things of this world. In summary, faith in, a per, in the person of Christ makes worship possible. And the outcome of our faith is a love for Christ, and it is accompanied with, with an emptying of ourselves. Worship then involves a life that is wholly directed toward God as Lord of all and the Savior of the redeemed. The spiritual disciplines now are means of growing in godliness that find their place in a life completely consecrated to worship God. Are there any questions so far? So what is what what is our what are our lives for? the worship of God, to glorify God. Worship and glorify are very close um, in their, their meanings. Very close. So why should... Can I give a word of caution? Yeah. Because there's a lot of um, Christianity that thinks that by glorifying God, we lift him up to a level yeah. he, did not ha he was not at before. Right. And that is absolutely wrong. 
Yeah, um, um, the idea of, of glorification for us. Think about us, and when we're glorified, we are, when we see Jesus, we will be made like Jesus, right? So we're coming, we're being lifted up into Christ's image. Um, but we never do that for God. When we glorify God, we make known, that's the idea of glorification, we make known who, Christ, who God is, right? We, we recognize, we acknowledge, we um, bring, uh, bring out what is in the word, what the word says about God to whoever's listening. So glorification is not something you can do. God does it, uh, and we, he does it through us of his name. So we can get really intense on that one. I'm going to leave it be. Somebody turned to Revelation 5 for me. 5 and 9. And another person in Revelation 4, 11. So we worship God for two reasons. Two particular reasons. Uh, we worship God for a lot of reasons. But number one, he is our creator. Number one, he is our creator. Number two, he is our redeemer. Okay? He's not just our redeemer. He's the redeemer of the world. Um, I do not mean, and just to be clear, I do not mean that all the world will come to know him in a salvific manner. So let's make sure we get that straight. So as far as he's a creator, Revelation 4.11 shows us this in action. Can someone read Revelation 4.11 for me? Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Amen. As a redeemer. Somebody in Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. Yes. And then... Uh, 10, I didn't realize that it was there. Sorry. And 10, keep going. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And we, re we sing this song every now and then um, that basically 5, 9, and all through, through 10 are repeated over and over and over. So I'll leave that for you to figure out which song that is. Um, so we belong to God twice over, right? Because he has created us. And he has also redeemed us. So uh, that's, that's basically why we worship God. So let's go to point two. Understanding worship. We need to understand worship in order to truly be worshipers, according to John 4, and so that we can be worshipers in spirit and in truth. And what that means has a lot to do with how you understand worship. Okay? So as we get there, uh, we have three concepts we need to cover. Three concepts of worship. Number one, homage. Number two, service. And number three, reverence. What is homage? What, is, what does the word homage mean? Homage. H-O-M-A-G-E. Homage. Respect. Respect. Huh? To honor. Okay. Anybody else? Isn't it some type of honoring of the past? To give homage to? Yeah. That, that would, that's how that would be used. Homage comes from a word um, liter uh, translated in the Hebrew. It means to worship. 
but literally it means to bend oneself over at the waist. So to submit, when you, when we, when like you meet people and you see them bow, you know, um, and they bow to the king, they bow to the queen, right? Uh, we just saw King Charles get coordinated. I don't know if you guys watched that, but um, bowing at the waist is an act of submission. You're giving them your head. Does that make sense? And so they can do it what they want with it um, when you bow. Uh, that's why Japanese people will never bow and put their eyes down. They put their eyes up because they don't trust you. Um, that is sort of colloquial, but not really. Uh, but they don't submit in the same way. They submit to their ancestors. They do not submit to living beings. Does that make sense? Unless you are the ancient, the, what they would call the ancient one, the king. So submission is another word. Um, service. Number two, service. Another Hebrew term that's often translated to worship literally means just to serve. And the language of service implies that God is a great king, one who requires faithfulness and obedience from those to the, from those who belong to him. In other words, devotion with all of your life, right? An aspect of worship, concept of worship is um, all of your life is in service to God. Not service of your own wants, desires, and needs, but service to God alone. Any questions about that one? Reverence. What do I mean by reverence? What do you think I mean by reverence? Lack of flippancy? Interesting. That's a good way of putting it. Anybody else have a definition or a thought of like what, what is reverence? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Okay. Proverbs 28. Fear. The fear part. Fear. Reverence. You're, you're awestruck by that fame or that Yeah. Putting something higher than yourself. Yes. To revere is, is literally meaning to put something higher than yourself, to lift something up above your own wants and desires. A final, this final group of term, this final group of terms was used to indicate, indicate the fear, reverence, and respect due to God. This involved keeping God's commandments, walking in his ways, turning away from evil, and serving him. Um, in the New Testament, the terminology for worship transformed to portray the work of Christ and the response that pleases God. So, it, it, went from, it went from going to the temple and offering sacrifices to uh, proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus, uh, who is our high priest, our great high priest. He fulfills all the types and shadows of the old covenant and replaces the way in which we approach God completely. There is no other way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Right? There is no other way to worship God but through Jesus. Jesus' incarnation, his death, his resurrection, and ascension make it possible for us to engage with God. In other words, all I said was the gospel, right? The gospel of Christ is what enables our worship to hear or to be given to God through Jesus Christ. There is no way to worship him outside of that. And so the question is, what is acceptable worship? Acceptable worship means approaching and engaging with God on the terms that he proposes and in the manner he makes possible. True worship is revealed by God and is made possible by his redeeming work. Okay? 
He's creator and redeemer. Who else can you worship? No, no I, I, I honestly believe that you cannot worship anything else if you know who this creator is and you know who this redeemer is. And to do so is just to walk around blindly. Notice Psalm 115. Go back to what I was saying. Those who make them, those who trust in them, will become like them. Blind, deaf, dumb, unspeaking, not unfeeling. They cannot be anything but those things if they do not worship God himself. So can is like what, implying ability, right? The ability to worship anything is predicated upon knowing God and God alone in Christ Jesus. Otherwise, it's just you're just a dead man or a dead woman praising nothing. Dead things made by your hands that are just dead. Any questions? More of a contention. Uh, contention? Well, I think it would just be a matter of. Uh, okay, go ahead. Because can't you worship? Can't don't the pagans worship their idols? Yes, but they are dead. Yes, but and they become so, like them. That's it, the whole point. Is it the semantics of the difference between worship and praise? No, I think it's I think it's true worship versus oh, true dead worship. worship. But they can still worship. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's like wisdom, the earthly wisdom versus wisdom from above. Wisdom from above. There's one that's really wisdom. And the other one is not. We would say that all those who don't worship God are still worshiping something. They're still worshiping yes. their money. Their Idolatry, money. yes. Yeah, they're idols. Yes. But it's true worship. Only true worship is that which God has set out for himself. Correct. Okay. True spirituality is only with those who are given the spirit. Thank you. What's up? I might think that when Adam and Eve were walking in the cool of the evening, and God would walk and talk with them, that possibly that's the most perfect form of worship it could be as originally designed. Even, even in that, though, the Christ was designed to come and rescue his people. So to want the garden, but without Jesus, is to want nothing but the serpent. And I want <laughs> to be, though, the creator. Oh, so now we're talking about theophany. I, I won't, don't really want to go there. Yes, he is the creator. He is God incarnate. Um, in, in so many ways, but let's, we're, we're trying to talk about this for right now. Because we have that go rabbit trail, I could do it for hours. Don't want to do that right now. Um, Say not acceptable worship. Go ahead, yes. Try to speak quickly. Acceptable worship. Um, is not just what's been said so far, it's, it's also more than that. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I don't know if this references it. But they have a Biden show. I'm going to talk about that. You can't even worship the right. Okay. Literally my next point. <laughs> Literally my next point. Uh, so let's talk about the means of acceptable worship really quickly. Revelation. Revelation and redemption. Not the book of Revelation. Revelation as in the revealed word of God. And redemption. The way that we have been saved. Number one. God has revealed himself through his word. So in the Old Testament. God at Mount Sinai set forth in great detail a pattern of acceptable worship. And Israel was to abide by these regulations in order to worship God in an acceptable way. Any deviation from this was regarded as idolatry. Besides these ritual stipulations, the Ten Commandments governed Israel's personal relationship with God. Leviticus 10, 1-3, shows us how God insists that he 
would be approached in accordance with the words. Somebody want to read for us Leviticus 10, 1 to 3. Leviticus 10, 1 to 3. This is the story about Nahab and Nadab and Abihu. Thank you. So then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans and put fire in them. Then they placed incense on it and offered strange fire before Yahweh, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of Yahweh and consumed them, and they died before Yahweh. And Moses said to Aaron, It is what Yahweh spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all people I will be glorified. So Aaron becomes silent. Yes, yeah, so what happened? They didn't follow God's they, they, they didn't follow God's word, right? They offered what we call false fire on the altar, and they were killed because of it. It's pretty... Uh, I don't know how real that is for you. I mean, how many times have you lit a fire? Lit a fire? Like Abel, Cain and Abel, like God told them one. Yeah, I mean, Cain and Abel, Cain, Cain, Abel brought the first fruits, right, of his work, and Cain brought something else, and who was, which worship was acceptable? Abel's. And Cain killed Abel because of it, right? So there's a lot of aspects to that um, that are true. But um, ex- acceptable worship comes because God has revealed himself through his word and how he is to be worshipped. Similarly, similarly, in the New Testament, we encounter commands on how to live and also those same kind of stipulations for public worship. The New Testament, here's the difference, is we don't, we don't do something wrong and God doesn't strike us dead, right? I mean, praise the Lord, right? Because we our hearts are always, you know, in turmoil. But um, think about one particular instance in Acts, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, where they lied about how much they had gotten for their land and their possessions. They said, oh, yeah, they asked, is this all of it? And they had kept back a piece portion for themselves. And they lied. And all they had to do was say, no, it's not all. All they had to do is say, no, be honest, right? It's real simple. None of it, right? It was an offering. It was, it was a, and yet they lied about that offering, and it, they were, they were, um, they lied to the spirit itself. They tried to lift themselves up. Yeah, it was a pretense of being better than what they were. Yes, willing to. they wanted to show, show, and not be like, not live in reality. Authentic. Yeah. All right. Um, so. Let me, uh, the New Testament also makes clear the Bible is central to public worship. 1 Timothy 4.13, which we have talked about many times. Paul commands Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Okay? So, public reading of Scripture, exhortation, and to teaching. Lee Duncan, uh, Ligon Duncan, he is the chancellor of uh, RTS, uh, Reformed Theological Seminaries. He writes this, and when we gather for corporate worship, we should read the Bible, hear the Bible, pray the Bible, sing the Bible, and see the Bible, as is displayed in baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's not Lake Duncan coming up with that on, him, on his own, okay? That's not, that's not just off the top of his head. That is out, straight out of Scripture. When it says, to public, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, he says, okay, so we should read the Bible publicly, okay? When he says, when the Lord says, do this in remembrance of me. Guess what? We do the Lord's Supper. When he says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, guess what we do when a, bap- when a disciple comes forward? 
we baptize them, right? Uh, and we see the thing. What does it say in Colossians and Ephesians? Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another with thankfulness, heart, thankfulness in your hearts to God. Guess what? We sing scriptures. Why do we pray? We pray continuously. We pray according to his word because that is the most pure form of what kind of prayer that we can offer, right? According to his word. So we here at Southside kind of do the same thing. We read the scriptures, we pray the scriptures, we preach the scriptures, we sing the scriptures, and we see the scriptures lived out in baptism and the Lord's Supper. This thing is... And we don't do more than that. And we don't do more than that. And that is a big, big deal. Um, some people don't understand at this concept. And so I'm going to give you the concept, and I want you to understand that we are not the most strict form of this concept. Um, it's called the regulative principle of worship. Okay, so all it's saying is that the scriptures regulate or guide direct, tell us how to worship God. Okay, read, pray, sing, see, preach. So we, we do those things because that's what God says to do definitely in concept. So the positive thing. It means that scripture must shape and regulate our corporate worship. The principle states that nothing should be required as essential to corporate worship except for what is commanded in God's word. Or positively, this is how I like to think about it, and this makes, me, makes it a little easier for me. Everything we do in a corporate worship gathering must be clearly warranted by scripture. Warrant is the, the key word there, warrant. So in concept and in content, it is impossible for us to dance in loincloths in the, public worship, in the public worship of God. You know what I'm referring to? David danced through the streets in his loincloth and worshiped to God. He did. But he didn't do it in public worship and he didn't do it for any other, he didn't do it in any way that was regulated by the word. He was doing it as an outflow of praise to his God. But that doesn't mean that we do that here as a commanded aspect of worship. Please close the door. Ned. So the regular principle of worship, that's what we mean. We just, we just want to do what God's saying to do in the New Testament, right? There's a second principle. It's called the normative, normative, normative principle. And I'm going to finish this really quickly. Um, basically, it says, and this is what you find in Lutheran churches and a lot of evangelical churches around us, is whatever is not prohibited by Scripture is permissible in worship. Okay, what is not prohibited in Scripture is permissible in worship. So dancing um, would be a thing that they, that they would do uh, as like a requirement. Um, or some people would see flag waving. I don't know if you've ever been in a Pentecostal service or a charismatic service. They do a lot of things that I don't see in Scripture. That doesn't mean they're wrong. They just follow a different principle. Does that make sense? They go in a different direction because they believe that the Bible... Um, says, well, it doesn't prohibit it, so therefore we can do it. And the one problem with the normative principle that I find, and that most other people who believe the regular principle is set out before us, is it doesn't follow sola scriptura. It follows sola whatever you want, uh, except for what is un not prohibited. Now, I'm not trying to be cheeky about it. but He said that the sons of Aaron were not doing a prohibited activity when they were consumed by fire. They Correct. They banned to do what they had done. 
It had just not been ordained. It had not been ordained as right, and therefore they were consumed. Right there. Yes? Uh, just to, one thing that's helpful too is that all the argument principles trying to do is make the main thing the main thing. Yeah. So what God has said is the main thing that we should be doing is the main thing that we're going to focus on. And the normative principle just takes away from that by focusing on other things that God has focused on. Yes. And so you're just trying to put the main thing that God has said. The as the main thing. As the main thing. Always. Yeah. Um, and so let me, so one thing that, one thing that's really confusing that I had to get over was I was used to growing up with testimonies being given in church uh, every now and then. I don't know if Jerry remembers this, but as I was younger. But we, you, we are like five years, five years apart, aren't we? Okay, something, <laughs> something like that. And so uh, I remember testimonies giving, being given in church. Testimonies aren't wrong, right? But it's not directly what the word is said to do. So don't, like, we're saying, let's not devote our time to that. Let's sing the t- same testimony. Today we're going to sing a song that is all testimonial. All I have is Christ, right? That is a testimonial of all of us, every one of us. I once was lost in darkness on it, thought I knew the way. We got we to wrap up. They're opening the doors. So uh, we got those two principles. We, we're going to leave off here. Next week we're going to come back and we're going to talk about how God has revealed himself in his son. So let's pray.